Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. This is episode one. Enjoy. Tonight's episode is a continuation of the previous episode, Swan's Way by Marcel Proust. We're going to continue on from where the last episode left. Hope you enjoy it. Then would come up the memory of a fresh position. The wall slid away in another direction. I was in my room in M. de St. Luke's house in the country. Good heavens, it must be ten o'clock. They will have finished dinner. I must have overslept myself in the little nap which I always take when I come in from my walk from the Mem de Saint Loup. Before dressing for the evening. For many years have now elapsed since the Combray days, when coming in from the longest and latest walks, I would still be in time to see the reflection of the sunset glowing in the panes of my bedroom window. It was a very different kind of existence at Tanzanville, now with M. de St. Loup, and a different kind of pleasure that I now derive from talking walks only in the evenings, from visiting by moonlight the roads on which I used to play as a child in the sunshine while the bedroom in which I shall presently fall asleep instead of dressing for dinner from afar off I can see it as we return from our walk with its lamp shining through the window a solitary beacon in the night these shifting and confused gusts of memory never lasted for more than a few seconds. It often happened that in my spell of uncertainty as to where I was, I did not distinguish the successive theories of which that uncertainty was composed any more than when we watch a horse running. We isolate the successive positions of its body as they appear in a bioscope. But I had seen first one and then another of the rooms in which I had slept during my life, and in the end I would revisit them all in the long course of my waking dream, rooms in winter where on going to bed, I would at once bury my head in a nest, built up out of the most diverse materials. The corner of my pillow 
the top of my blankets, a piece of a shawl, the edge of my bed, and a copy of the evening paper, all of which things I would contrive, with the infinite patience of birds building their nests, to cement into one hole, rooms where in a keen frost, I would feel the satisfaction of being shut in from the outer world. Like the sea swallow, which builds at the end of a dark tunnel and is kept warm by the surrounding earth and where, the fire keeping in all night, I would sleep wrapped up, as it were, in a great cloak of snug and savoury air. Shot with the glow of the logs, which would break out again in flame. In a sort of alcove without walls, a cave of warmth dug out of heart of the room itself. A zone of heat whose boundaries were constantly shifting and altering in temperatures as gusts of air ran across them to strike freshly upon my face from the corners of the room or from parts near the window or far from the fireplace which had therefore remained cold or rooms in summer where I would delight to feel myself as part of the warm evening where the moonlight striking upon the half-open shutters would throw down to the foot of my bed its enchanted ladder, where I would fall asleep, as it may be in the open air, like a titmouse, which the breeze keeps poised in the focus of a sunbeam, or sometimes the Louis Eleven room, so cheerful that I could never feel really unhappy, even on my first night in it. That room where the slender columns which lightly supported its ceilings would part ever so gracefully to indicate where the bed was and to keep it separate. Sometimes again, that little room with the high ceiling hollowed in the form of a pyramid out of the two separate stories and partly walled with mahogany in which from the first moment my mind was drugged by the unfamiliar scent of flowering grasses convinced of the hostility of the violet curtains and the insolent indifference of a clock that chattered on at the top of its voice as though I were not there, while a strange and pitiless mirror with square feet, which stood across one corner of the room, cleared for itself a sight I had not looked to find tenanted in the quiet surroundings of my normal field of vision that room in which my mind, forcing itself for hours on end to leave its moorings, 
to elongate itself upwards so as to take on the exact shape of the room and to reach to the summit of that monstrous funnel had passed so many anxious nights while my body lay stretched out in the bed. My eyes staring upwards, my ears straining, my nostrils sniffling uneasily and my heart beating until custom had changed the colour of the curtains, made the clock keep quiet, brought an expression of pity to the cruel, slanting face of the glass, disguised or even completely dispelled, the scent of flowering grasses and distinctly reduced, the apparent loftiness of the ceiling, custom that skillful but unhurrying manager who begins by torturing the mind for weeks on end with her provisional arrangements, whom the mind for all that is fortunate in discovering, for without the help of custom it would never contrive by its own efforts to make any room seem habitable. Certainly, I was well now awake. My body had turned about for the last time, and the good angel of certainty had made all the surrounding objects stand still, had set me down under my bedclothes in my bedroom, and had fixed, approximately in their right places, in the uncertain line, my chest of drawers, my writing table, my fireplace, the window overlooking the street, and both the doors. But it was no good my knowing that I was not in any of those houses of which, in the stupid moment of waking, if I had not been caught sight exactly, I could still believe in their possible presence, for which was now set in motion. As a rule, I did not attempt to go to sleep again at once, but used to spend the greater part of the night recalling our life. In the old days of Combray, with my great-aunt at Belbec, Paris, Venice, and the rest. Remembering again all the places and people that I had known, what I had actually seen of them, and what others had told me. At Combray, as every afternoon ended, long before the night when I should have gone up to bed and to lie there, unsleeping, far from my mother and grandmother, my bedroom became the fixed point on which my melancholy and anxious thoughts were centred. Someone had the happy idea of giving me to distract me on evenings when I seemed abnormally wretched. A magic lantern, which used to be set on top of my lamp while we waited for dinner time to come. 
in the manner of the master builders and glass painters of gothic days, it substituted for the opaqueness of my walls an impalpable iridescence. Supernatural phenomena of many colours in which many legends were depicted as in a shifting and transitory window. But my sorrows were only increased because this change of lighting destroyed, as nothing else could have done, the customary impression I had formed of my room thanks to which the room itself, but for the torture of having to go to bed in it, had become quite endurable. For now I no longer recognised it, and I became uneasy, as though I were in a room in some hotel, or furnished lodging in a place where I had just arrived by train for the first time. And that is the end of the readings for now. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was something that was able to allow you to become a little more sleepy. Enjoy and speak soon. Thank you.